Hi there. Welcome to the Best Minds in Real Estate interviews with key players in real estate. Today, we have Adrian Foley, who is with uh, Brookfield Properties, Brookfield Development nowadays, right? That's right. Adrian, maybe um, welcome. Good to have you uh, with us. How thank are you, you today? Gaudi, thank you, Gaudi. I'm good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. You look fantastic. Thank you. So do you. I, li I like the formal attire just for me. Very nice. I really no. appreciate that. Oh, it's not about me. That's not, that, that's too much. So I see you're in the office. So um, are you in violation of any state or company rule or is that permissible? No, it's permissible. Uh, so we are an essential service, as I think you know. Um, uh, predominantly on the on the land and housing side of our of our development portfolio, but also on the multifamily side for any of the products that we're building that are affordable. So we have a series of uh, of developments there. But um, so I'm in the office uh, for two reasons. One is uh, I'm allowed to. Uh, we're allowed to for those of us that struggle to work remotely um and uh uh i'm one of those candidates and um uh, i love where i live and i love the environment that i live in and i love my family dearly but uh productive work in my house is really challenging so um i choose to come in the office we have about forty thousand feet here and about uh 15 team members right now in this office so i'm I'm suitably socially distanced from anyone, and I and I have my uh, I have my mask that if I do need to walk around the office uh, that I'll wear. So, but that's why I'm here. So, I'm glad to hear that, and uh, good good for you. Uh, for those who don't know uh, what you do and what you're responsible for, would you take a moment to kind of describe uh, what in Brookfield do you oversee? Yes, I would. Uh, I'm happy to. So I think of it as sort of two, um, two businesses uh, that have an overlap. Um, so I've been at Brookfield for 20, 25 years, actually my 25th year this year. And I've always been on predominantly on the land and housing side of the business. Brookfield has through Brookfield Residential is the flag we fly uh, uh, through Brookfield Residential, a land development and for sale home building business. Um, and over the last, uh, uh, two to two and a half years, uh, we've sort of morphed that development business uh, to support a couple of other businesses that we either one acquired or two merged with. Um, Oliver McMillan, a company in San Diego, and Forest City more recently uh, in the last uh, 12 months, uh, actually probably the last 18 months, excuse me. Um, so two businesses over the last two to two and a half years that we have pulled into our development portfolio such that um, when Brookfield looks outside of New York and DC and Boston and wants to develop really any real estate, go vertical, go horizontal, go vertical on any real estate that either it owns or it wants to acquire and develop, it looks to a development uh, team that is about 1,500 team members that I'm a part of. And um, uh, so we think of it as those two, uh, those two hands. I use this in any of the discussions I, I have. Um, pulling closer together, and I know you, um, you know, through your personal, uh, through yours and mine's personal exchanges, you know how that journey has been. Um, so uh, we're we're a couple of years into that process um, of pulling those companies together, and uh, they now operate as one business, Brookfield Properties Development, small D development. Uh, so uh, um, 
when Brookfield looks to develop its real estate, it looks to a, team, a group that I'm a part of. So before COVID-19, what was your book of business like? What, what were you working on as far as the overall company portfolio? Yeah, so we, uh, on the land and housing side, we projected, you know, three to 4,000 homes a year, uh, three to 4,000 lots a year. Uh, on the mixed use side of the business, we had roughly $3 billion of construction underway in various uh, mixed use uh, uh, developments, nine mixed use developments, um, some of which were um, uh, horizontal developments to go vertical. Pier 70 would be a good example of that. Um, and others were developments that were, that were in the ground coming into January 1 that we were moving forward. And we had planned to start an additional um, six slash seven other uh, uh, mixed use developments on top of that. So um, we had a, uh, let's just say, a, a really robust uh, business plan, uh, full of optimism, just, I mean, the last two years have been challenging to pull those groups together from the land, from the mixed use perspective. And it was just beginning to click. And I, I, I'm not saying that to sort of set this up for some other, you know, for, for some dislocation, but it was really just getting, getting to be uh, in a really strong operating mode. We had uh, things to work out, but generally speaking, it was, uh, it was teed up perfectly Jan 1. So March was the big slowdown month or the transition month. What, uh, what does the company look like today off that pipeline? How much of that are you still moving forward with? And what you're not moving forward with, what are you doing? Yeah, so on the land and housing side, uh, a couple of statistics. You know, the first, I, I, think, of, I think of life um, as sort of pausing or slowing down from the middle of March onwards. So when I think about this over a 12-week period, March 1 to 5.26, it sort of breaks down into like, three weeks of euphoria, still carrying over from February and really strong land and housing sales. We were, we were I'm gonna get it wrong, but we were 25% above our plan for the first eight weeks of the year. Really strong demand, really, really, you know, and we think about sales as the end of the funnel, like the start of the funnel, demand was really strong. Traffic was great, interest was really strong. So those first three weeks from land and housing perspective, you know, um, we had, we had generated sort of 0.8 of a sale per week per community. We were, we had traffic that was in the 20 to 25 range uh, on a on a per store basis. Um, and then I think about that middle period as those five weeks of, I'll call it, you know, significant pause or, or that's from like early April to mid May. Probably so the third period. week, the third week in March, fourth week in March to the to the to the end of May. Okay. So, sorry, to, to the end of April, end of April, excuse me, excuse me. Yeah, that five week period of really comparative nothing, like oh. literally stopped. We went to, you know, we went from 235 sales in, in three weeks to 84 sales in five weeks. And, and traffic just plummeted, just dropped off the face uh, of the earth on the land and housing side, um, went from, you know, five people per week, uh, um, uh, you know, really miserable uh, environment. So operationally, what we did was we we immediately applied, applied the brakes to the business as best we could on the land and housing side and said, okay, let's gather around the, the virtual uh, uh, meeting uh, environment uh, on a weekly basis and let's, let's dive deep into our information and our business and how we're running it and just 
basically, if nothing else, just to get alignment across the various parts of the business across North America, we had, you know, we had some markets that were more positive and some more negative, but we wanted to try to get everybody level set. So we had other groups listen in on other operating businesses uh, performance. Cut, cut a long story short, the last four weeks, we've gone from 84 sales to 151 sales. So we've, we've rebounded. Uh, our traffic's improved dramatically, mainly as a result of an increase in virtual traffic. So we'll get to that separately. Um, but just that general, uh, the general environment has lifted and become more positive. So we've really seen a strong, a strongish V in, in this, uh, uh, in this last sort of four week period. So, um, you know, I, I think of that on the land and housing side as sort of survival round one, uh, if you like on the mixed use side of the business. So a lot of these nine developments are, you know, this way better than I do because your, your, your knowledge and experience, they're in the ground, they're working through, they're, they're almost agnostic to an economic situation. They, they either just need, they either need to stop or they, or they just need to get done. So that we're in various stages. We've evaluated for each of the, of the nine, um, any that we could pause where it made sense to pause. In other words, where we hadn't committed GMPs or we hadn't had financing or we, or we didn't have an obligation to deliver a building or a structure to a tenant, we paused and, we, and we're just gonna wait it out. So a couple of markets were in San Francisco. We just said, you know, rather than go vertical in the next three months, four months, five months, we'll just wait. Um, others where we're in construction, we've kept, kept going. And in the case of our national development, which we had looked to grand open uh, sort of around the end of the third quarter, we've sort of pushed everything out until the first quarter next year. You know, and in most situations, listen to the tenants that were, that were the businesses that were going to be opening the, um, on the back of some of those uh, developments coming to fruition and just listen to them and said, you know, what's the best that we can do right now for you? A um, little bit, obviously, uh, feedback uh, uh, and back and forth. But generally speaking, we're taking the view that Q2 is going to be very much a, a stalling uh, period for, for us across the land and housing side and the mixed use side. We'll wait and see what July and there beyond delivers. So what are you watching to, uh, what are you reading? Who are you talking to? What are you watching to help inform that uh, unpausing or the, the continue versus uh, slow down sort of decision? So the, the beauty of Brookfield is uh, I get a bit of a window through my my colleagues in other businesses, my partners in other business, our partners in other businesses. So I, I get to listen to the retail. So first of all, Brookfield has a global call, Gaudi, every Thursday morning, um, where as a result of this pandemic, um, Bill Powell, Brian Kingston uh, pulled together uh, sort of the uh, senior partners, uh, senior senior business uh, operators in the in the business across the globe. So um, I listen intensely to to what those in other parts of the world, China, uh, Seoul, Korea, uh, are telling us about their how how they've reacted. And then I listen as as we come around the businesses to the operating segments, retail, office, hospitality, how they're turning. Um, how their pages are turning in their business. So that's the first, that's the first sort of level of information. The second is we have a really great window into our customer today who's living in housing, whether it's multifamily housing or, or for sale housing. We have a window into buyers coming in the door wanting to buy a home, 
we have a window, a window into those buyers who are in escrow and we're having conversations with them about when they're gonna close. And on the leasing side and multifamily side, I'm hearing from Matt Smith, who's our partner on the multifamily side, how the, how the customers who are living in those, those uh, 60 odd thousand multifamily uh, properties that Brookfield uh, uh, manages, how are those um, uh, homeowners, home, home dwellers uh, are bearing up? So I get, a, I get a, a kind of a cross section of views. If I just had for sale housing to listen to, I think my prognosis would be way, way, way rosier um, than my current than our current sense is, um, because I think that's uh, that's maybe a one one part of our business portfolio that's been the least affected. And there's others, technology and logistics. You would argue that our logistics business is the least affected, but really, for sale housing. And I think you and I had this exchange on on one of your chats that you know we we are we are very Generally speaking, the land and housing business has been somewhat uh, um, left alone. You know, we've we've literally not had a we've had very few days missing. You know, we've extended some some schedules on our land and housing business because people can't double up on trades. But as an ordinary course of business, we basically have stayed business as usual. So so that's how I, I I get some perspective. I then do I listen to people like you intensely, and I'm not just saying that. I listen to you know the economic um, forecasters in our real estate space. I listen. In, I listen passionately to podcasts. I I read. I read Twitter uh, incessantly for articles about real estate that I can glean information. I steer clear of some of the news media that's out there. Candidly, I um, I'm just getting numb to to the commentary that's going on. But it, but we all sort of soak that up as 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 sort of individuals in the in the group and share sort of prognosis. Um, you know, we, we sort of have a, a bit of a view at Brookfield. It's a bit of a Brookfieldism that, um, that it's, never, it's never too rosy nor too gloomy. You know, it's never, you're never too good or too bad. So um, this, the, the practice that we have tried to preach is that for every two optimists, there needs to be a pessimist. Uh, and, and it's not quite that ratio. But you still want to have two optimists for everyone. You, you still want to have two optimists, right? Otherwise, why would we be in this business? Right? So, but, you know, I think it's really important in any conversation, in any healthy um, discussion, you know, there used to be a saying on one of our wars. It was like, if, if, if all in the room are, are thinking alike, no one's really thinking. There has to be a, a you know, a, a tension triangle in, in viewpoint. Somebody's got to take the view of the, of the, uh, of the pessimist or the optimist. So over the next six months, between now and the end of the year, more or less, is it your point of view that at least as far as the shelter business in America is concerned, that we're past the worst, which is what the stock market is suggesting, right? Or do you expect there will be another uh, substantial disruption between now and, before, and the year and the end of the year? Um, you know, obviously, it's a really difficult question to answer. I, I, I agree with you. The stock market seems to have a fairly, uh, a fairly formed opinion of that today. Um, I, I'm, I'm, as a company, we are not of that view. Uh, we think we still have um, some ways to go before we can formulate that view accurately. Um, we think we've got uh, a significant amount of disruption. And with any significant amount of disruption, um, becomes a very unpredictable path out. 
Um, so as it relates to shelter today, um, uh, I think we have a ways to go before we can we can say whether uh, whether we've seen the worst. Um, I, I didn't mention pricing, by the way, um, or even on the multifamily side. You know, list leasing. Uh, we've seen very little. Uh, we've seen next to no price erosion on the for sale housing side. And I mean, in in the U.S., like maybe less than two percent. Um, in Canada. In Alberta, maybe a little higher just because of oil and the impact of oil in the Alberta market. But frankly, across the business, you know, our backlog has come through really relatively unscathed. Maybe 5% of our backlog uh, has not showed up. So, and on the multifamily side, you know, the team there are telling us that leasing volumes, albeit um, suppressed down, are not, they're not, you know, they, they, they maybe have teased in some uh, some additional months here or there where they've needed to but generally speaking it's been it's been relatively positive so like i don't think we've seen the worst of that at all i think we've got a bit of a wave of backlog in our industry that has to close we've got a bit of a wave of spec inventory that has to work through this is just on land and housing right. multifamily you know you and i have a view on that um and uh and, and i think until we see that those two uh, volumes play out. I don't think we'll have seen the worst of this. Um, we've got 40 odd million people probably by the end of this week to put back to work. I don't think you can accurately forecast the time frame for that to occur. That has to have an effect. I don't care if it's if it's 90% people earning 40,000 or not uh, or less or not. And I don't think that's the number. I think it's it's skewed actually more balanced towards the middle. That has to have an effect on shelter. So, look. I, I, you know, plenty of opinions out there. Um, I'm more inclined to ask you that question than I am to ask myself. But our view is that we need to remain appropriately cautious. And yeah. and that pessimist in the room probably has a slightly louder voice today than the two optimists. Right. So so given that point of view, I don't suspect that Brookfield is a seller by necessity. You sell when you're good and ready to sell. Uh, but you are very well capitalized, so you are a buyer. So are you selling anything? Are you unloading any assets? And on the other side of this thing, are you looking to buy and are you successful in finding things to buy now? Yeah, it, so there's a bit of a, um, uh, another Brookfieldism is, you know, for every day that you didn't sell, you were a buyer. Um, so, uh, not that we're in the day trading business as a real estate firm, cause we're not, uh, but you've got to have that kind of discipline. Otherwise, uh, you can lull yourself into some, uh, some bad, bad decisions. Um, so, uh, as a general rule, I would say on the land and housing side, we think it's way too volatile today to be a seller or a buyer. If somebody comes in today and offers us something, we've had offers for land in the last 12 weeks that we've said, no, we're, we're not interested in selling. We don't need to, to your point. Conversely, we're being very cautious about anything we look at as an acquisition. Um, we are thinking about how we assemble an approach for the future for those opportunities, because we do believe there'll be some dislocation in the market and therefore we want to be make, want to make sure we're set up for that. So the land and housing side is predominantly acquisitions, dispositions are pencils down, 
There are some lot sales going through the process. I mentioned we do 3,000 lots a year. We've significantly cut that back, but we'll still push forward with lot sales. Before you move into multifamily, yes. in the for sale housing and the land and, uh, and, and housing business, what what is the bid-ask uh, gap? We, and you're in a very funny place, right? On the one hand, you're, you're a seller, uh, but so that, that's your ask and you're not finding bids for it. On the other hand, you're a buyer and you're not finding bids for, or, or you're not asking, finding asks uh, for your bids. Uh, where do you think values truly are? What, what is so, the, it, it's not just what dollar amount or percent from last, but how do you figure what a piece of land is worth in May of 2020? Yeah, I think you have to look at what your prognosis is of when, quote, reasonable market conditions return. So yeah. if it's, you know, if, if, if that's behind us, you may be thinking about that, that if I bought something today, I could open it in, you know, six months and I could have a normal selling environment. Now, you may say that normal selling environment is down 10 from today's selling environment and therefore you're pricing it accordingly. Um, but whatever your assumptions are, uh, um, uh, for that quote return to normal or return to normal operating business is probably what's in your underwriting. We just don't think today that's a, that's a conversation we want to have candidly. Now we do have it every day with builders who buy lots from us. So, you know, as I mentioned, as I've mentioned, as a general rule, they went through their, their five week period there that was miserable and nobody wanted to do anything, but candidly in the last four weeks, you know, we're starting to see a bit of a trend get formed. It's way too early to, to you know, draw a line on a curve, um, but it is definitely uh, the, the beginning of a foundation. Um, I think we had a lot of pent up demand, uh, you know, post that February, uh, end of February date, that quite honestly, independently of the pandemic pressure on being able to access or view or, you know, buy a, buy a home, uh, that stayed because people needed to move, whatever their need was. I think the bigger question for me, me and, and us is here is how do we think about that, that real demand that has to come through that is replacing those people that, that you know, were still waiting at the end of February. So, so we're having these conversations with our builders and candidly, they're, they're generally speaking compliant with our request, which is that, look, we won't do anything for 60 days, 60 or 90 days. Let's have a conversation, you know, towards the end of May, start of June. But the market is showing that uh, it, it's, it's receptive to, uh, you know, to, to an absorption. Hence, we're going to ask them you know, to step up and commit on their, on their contracts. So, but I, I, I sense your question to be more of that you know, macro uh, you know, acquisition disposition environment. We, we're certainly not saying we think there's a cliff edge out there and we should shove everything into the middle of our land and housing uh, you know, uh, um, uh, table and get people to come to come buy it from us at whatever it is on the dollar. We don't think that. Um, conversely, we're not out there today saying we've seen a dip in in real estate prices. We should go buy everything. We frankly haven't seen that dip as uh, as I was mentioning. So it's very difficult unless there's somebody who's significantly dislocated themselves. They've they've gotten themselves hurt. Um, in which case, we're happy to help them out. But we haven't seen that many people do that just yet in the near term. Yeah, we don't we don't see a lot of dislocation either yet. At least we're not seeing a lot of distressed uh, offerings, uh, and there seems to be a bit asked price when you ask the sellers. They're 
sort of would be willing to talk at 10% below what they thought the value was in February. But when you talk to buyers, they're really looking at more like 70 or 80% of what it was back in February. But um, there hasn't been enough in the middle for the parties to meet one another. And I'm not even sure that the buyers really would buy even 80% on 80 cents on the dollar. But time will tell. In the meantime, what we hear is that the can is getting kicked down the road. People are saying, yeah, let's have the conversation in 30, 60, 90 days. Kind of like what you said. Yeah. Uh, how, how is it? Different, if any, in the multifamily and in the next year's business. You know, I think of I think of the of the commercial development business uh, and predominantly multifamily for us because that's been our anchor as a little different. Um, you know, I I th I think of the, that being a lot of um, uh, public private partnership uh, discussions. Um, so to the extent those weren't. Uh, those weren't uh, producing results in the past. I think those could definitely come back in the near term. Uh, cities are looking hard at, uh, at their revenues and their expenses, and rightly so, uh, reaching out to try and find uh, um, development uh, partners to take on some of their, uh, of their needed uh, development uh, opportunities. Um, I also think that, uh, um, you know, certainly as it relates to our own retail business, we've seen, I, I, I didn't mention that in that portfolio that I was giving you at the start, but we were working at the time on 10 retail assets that we were taking through entitlement. Um, and we have su subsequent to that identified another 20 uh, retail opportunities. So as I think about that as a opportunity space, um, we think that- And I think what, what you mean is, uh redeveloping or repurposing malls correct yeah. correct so so if, if anything that has gotten better uh depending upon who you are if you're right. the owner of the real estate um you know there's some challenges in no disrespect better for uh, to, uh, better better if you're if you're if you're par uh, partnering up with those individuals but they're they're our they're our teammates too so um what we've realized is is that uh some of the friction that we had around some of those entitlements, whether it was a tenant, uh, 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 um, an owner of real estate, uh, you know, a big box owner, or or a city, that all of a sudden those conversations are, are at a whole different level, um, which is good. Um, so as a result of that, we think there may be some opportunities that uh, come to bear in that in that uh, part of the business, um, you know. And then there's this whole view which hasn't really played out. Obviously hasn't played out, but uh, but there's there's some subjectivity as to as to to where urban sits uh, in the future landscape, um, and uh, if X percent of your business can work uh, remotely, um, uh, does the urban environment uh, still have as as much appeal as the suburban environment? So um, our view is we've got to be prudent uh, prudent observers of dislocation in value in in those locations too, which we actually think we'll see some great opportunities there as well. So let's go back to what you have done to cope with the conditions on the ground and how is that setting you up into the future? What are you doing differently now? What different things are you doing today that you weren't doing three, four months ago? Yeah, um, so I think about it in terms of, or we think about it in terms of both operationally, um, relationships with our, our kind of customers, if you like, whoever the, whoever that customer base is. 
um, and then sort of a future thinking about how, how we might evolve. So one, operationally, I think you know this, Gadi, because we've had, a, um, had this conversation before. We were, we were a very virtual environment um, within the development group. Um, we, we realized the strength of, at the time, Skype. Unfortunately, well, unfortunately, we transitioned from Skype because it's gone through a bit of a bumpy spell. But we were actually link users way back in the day right. and, and video screens uh, in conference rooms and cameras on every desktop. So we really saw the, the, the phenomenal value of that. This, um, this uh, pandemic has m multiplied that and, and candidly brought some things to bear for us that we're challenging ourselves on, which is you know, time spent traveling, time spent you know, meeting face-to-face um, -face as opposed to virtually and, the, and, and good discipline about, around good meetings. So operationally, we've made a, a huge shift as it relates to our operational business. As it relates to uh, speaking to our customers, so when I think about our customers, I think about homeowners, or in the case of multifamily, our multifamily partners, home renters, um, but also any tenants uh, uh, that occupy any of our buildings. So we have um, initiated a, um, I'll call it a year-end push to, uh, to really re-engineer our whole selling proposition online. Um, we're already a digital company, and you can go on and look at our websites and look at, uh, look at our website, sorry, and look at our homes digitally and get really good data and information on, on, on what that home looks like, what it's gonna feel like for you to live in, you know, and any of the touring uh, abilities, you wanna tour it, we'll tour it for you. You don't have to get off, you know, get, get, uh, leave your home. Um, and then we transition to this, uh, to this what we call um, uh, unmanned sales environment or, uh, uh, you know, unattended access, as, as we like to refer it to. So you can go visit, you and your wife can go visit our model homes, seven in the morning, nine at night, uh, at your leisure. Um, that's going to be uh, old school. That'll be just accepted, uh, we think, as an industry norm. But what, what we think we need to do is now up that game and allow you to really get comfortable with um, the information we're providing to you on the price of the home that you're, you're buying so that you don't feel like I'll say another way. You have complete transparency as to what that home uh, price is relative to other homes within the neighborhood, other homes within region. Uh, think of it as the sort of progressive insurance, uh, you know, price is right uh, uh, test. And we do that internally with every one of our homes. We, we, we're obviously, you know, benchmarking against our competition, the resale market, but also homes we've sold. Why can't we provide that to our customers? We've got to be careful. We've got to be We've got to make sure we're not scaring people away. Uh, um, but, um, but we think we can do a really good job of transforming this relationship online such that you don't need a third-party advocate, in, in parentheses, broker, to validate that transaction. We think Zillow has done a phenomenal job um, of really lifting the veil up of, uh, of mystery around how homes are priced. And frankly, you know, uh, the, the uniqueness of each home is maybe even more relevant in the resale market in the new home business. You know, it's it's less, frankly. You know, we have base price, premium, options. Those are the three categories. So we think we need to transform that. So that's the second um, piece for the customer. On the multifamily side, I think Matt Smith, uh, um, our partner in multifamily, would tell you that that they are going to do, to be doing the same, looking at really lifting the uh, the veil off of uh, of the of the leasing process such that you don't have to um, 
really, it's very difficult to lease a, lease a home today. I, I, I did it with my son and I was embarrassed. I was like, it's so flipping difficult to get, even get in these apartments and I get security and I get, you know, but we've got to make it easier as an industry for our customers to view, our customers to get informed and our customers to commit. So we think that's a, a huge part of this process. So, so I hear a lot of moving to things that are more touchless, contactless and more self-guided uh, with you providing information and options and the customer driving their own experience. Yes, because, because we think the customer doesn't realize they're paying for that. Yeah. They're paying for that lack of transparency, that lack of, mm -hmm. we're not paying for it. it. The theory is I could give four or 5% back to the customer and be at the same net number if, if we were to re-engineer the process. It's a so, huge amount of money. So some of this stuff is accelerating trends that were happening anyways and accelerating initiatives that you were working on anyway. Right? Correct. Uh, so if you fast forward two or three years, COVID-19 is now in the rear view mirror. We found a way to deal with it or, or we eradicated it, whichever it is. What does the new normal look like? How, what is going to be different in, in your three lines of business uh, from today, in your opinion? So I think of it on the land side, um, uh, you know, our land model by its very nature is, is, uh, has, has, has got to get re-engineered. It's a, it's a really terrible, and I'm macroing here, but it's a really terrible model. You know, we need to build way more segments to justify the investment in capital on the land side. So with that, we've got to bring much more of the for rent side of the business into our master plan communities. Um, on the for sale side, we've got to build a relationship with that customer that goes for the next 50 years, not for the next five months, and provide all of the, um, I'll say advocate services that you would expect from somebody who is providing you with probably the largest purchase in your life. We get more service from a car company that gives us a car every five to six years than we do a builder that's building the one time largest purchase. So that means buying houses back. That means certifying how buying houses back to rebuy another one, certifying houses. That means having an I buy a program independently of whether you bought, a Brookfield home or not, we'll, we'll still take your home in trade in. Um, it, it just means being, um, being a shelter partner. And that's a really bad word, but we've got to find, find some, a sexier way of explaining that to that, to that home owner, same on the, on the, on the rental side. So if we can, if we can sweep those offerings together, provide, um, the vertical, uh, um, segmentation that supports, those offerings from single family rental to multifamily apartments to, to uh, short term uh, stays to, uh, to uh, corporate housing to, you know, there is, there is uh, an ecosystem of shelter out there for our commercial tenants, for our home uh, leasing uh, renters and for our homeowners that we can do differently. So I hear two, two really interesting ideas here. One is, sort of a customer for life. No matter how you get into our system, we're gonna to try to be your, your, your provider for your housing needs for as long as you let us. That's right. And the other one is a massive effort to integrate all of your business lines so they all deliver the customer for life seamlessly without allowing the silos, multifamily versus single family for rent versus single family for sale versus
And God is just frozen at the most opportune time. Land to each dude for about five or 10 seconds. Am I back? You are okay, back. I should be back now. Thank you. Yep. So I was just saying that there's two uh, major uh, ideas here. And the last one was the idea of uh, not allowing the silos get in the way of this idea of serving customers from, from end to end. And I, and I agree with the observation that when you think about the, particularly the home buying experience or the home ownership experience, the relationship with a provider is so limited. And it only comes to light now when you think about the single family rental business where you have companies like Invitation Homes and perhaps soon Brookfield who are building and servicing homes for people to live in. Yet we build and sell a home, which is a much bigger transaction and walk away from it. That makes no sense. Makes no sense. Well, it's absurd. Well, and, and, and I'm not sure, Gadi, that there isn't somewhere between, and I know you and I have had this conversation, somewhere between 12 months and 30 years as an quote ownership proposition or a living proposition. So we're not quite sure what that is today. And maybe I'm not sure two to three years is the right horizon uh, timeframe. Yeah. But it's probably, hopefully, not that far away for us to re-engineer some of those two, uh, those two statements. That will be really exciting. It'll be very interesting to see also um, the intersection between that and the financial services side and the economics, because you know, car companies have gone through this transition, right? They have you can buy a car, you can lease a car, you can trade a car in, and you can trade into a lease, trade into an ownership, and what and whatnot. But when you are uh, you know, the, 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 the loyalty of the customer isn't necessarily a lifelong relationship. So they'd like it to be, but, you know, it doesn't really work that way. The question is with a real estate company, you know, how much mobility is there in America? And can you service that consumer wherever they go, even if they wanted to be serviced by you? Mercedes can service you anyplace. Can Brookfield? I think we have to engineer that solution. I think it's possible. Um, Look, we don't have to own every person that services that uh, relationship, but we right. can certainly uh, partner with those that can provide that service. And I think that's the point is, uh, is it's, it's, and the dollars we're talking are significant. The, the, the issue is, is that every one of those segments, there's a layer and layer and layer of cost that's built into those segments. So the expectation is, as we start to remove the layers, the cost will compress. So the customer, right should be the, the recipient of that benefit. It, it should be to everybody's benefit. It should be a win-win, you know, because you exactly. will have no economic interest in providing something at a loss, and they will have no interest in paying more to get the same or less. Right. So we, we have to negotiate the differences. So it'll be interesting, and I think that you are uniquely positioned to do this because as a big company and a public company, but a interestingly structured public company, you're not as susceptible to the kind of challenges that a conventional home builder, or for that matter, a multifamily REIT would have in adding on a business model to the, or, or, a, or a, yeah, business model to the overall platform right. that is in conflict with or not consistent with what they have done historically. So when you buy land, build homes, sell homes, and that's how you make money to try to convince somebody to change their expectations may be more challenging than the flexibility Brookfield has within its umbrella. So that's right. We will stand by to um, to learn about how things develop for you. So 
we could go on forever, but I think maybe we should call it a day and maybe regroup in a few weeks and catch up on what changed and maybe explore some more of these uh, ideas. But before we part, I'm curious about your personal experience. What in the last month or two has surprised you? Um, so I have to couch my uh, comments with, um, I grew up in the UK and- uh, Father with a Texas accent. <laughs> no, uh, I wish it was. That's far more attractive. Uh, so I grew up in the UK and, uh, and, and went through the worst flu seasons on the planet. Uh, um, and uh, um, frankly, built a pretty, pretty big resilience. Uh, you know, you, you build that immune system that comes with living in those environments. So on the one hand, um, go back 12 weeks. Um, I'm surprised at where this has gone because I wouldn't had, you know, I wouldn't have any, had any sense that, that despite all the warnings that, that this is where it would have gone. Um, so with that, it ended up being worse than you thought it was going to be. Way, way worse than, than I, than I thought it would have, uh, was, was going to be. Um, so that's probably no big surprise, but I, I couch it just because I, I come from that, from that right. environment where eh, it's another flu season. Um, so how it's, how I think about it as a surprise to our business is, is one, um, uh, the kind of home, home buyer resiliency that we've seen on the land and housing side and how really um, they stayed focused on the horizon really quite amazingly. Uh, so that need was great and whatever that need was, it didn't get interrupted by the fear of whatever this would do to themselves. They're living in their current environment, working remotely, dealing with all the stresses that I'm sure their businesses, their companies, and are going through and their families are going through, but yet they stay focused on the horizon. So I'm really surprised at that. Two, I'm surprised at the last four weeks activity because I think if I was, if I were pinned down four weeks ago and said, how do you see the next month? I'd have said flat to declining. So however, optimism has reigned and, and consumers have begun coming back. Now I do think it's a bit of an Indian summer. I do think we, we aren't really seeing a quote normal environment, but it's, that's been a surprise. And I'm, I'm surprised obviously to the positive. The third would be, I think I'm surprised at how quickly some companies have gotten into financials distress as a result of this. Um, and maybe again, maybe I shouldn't be as surprised at that, but um, there's some pretty early exits uh, being called uh, by I mean, granted, a lot of uh, a lot of the retail uh, retailers uh, were speaking about, uh, but other companies too. You know, you mentioned uh, you mentioned uh, car hire companies. You know, Hertz. So companies that clearly got themselves into a financial predicament uh, that that this tripped them over, and and now you know they'll get maybe reorganized, and maybe that will be their their uh, you know their their best route out. But I've been surprised at that. Adrian, what do you think uh, we'll be talking about uh, over the 4th of July weekend? Um, I think we'll be talking about, um, so my optimistic eye says uh, how positive June uh, was uh, for us health-wise. That's really what's most important. Um, Economy-wise, how people really started to re-engage and, uh, and get back to, quote, closer to normal. Um, and, uh, and you know, housing-wise, shelter-wise, how we 
sustained uh, May's performance and jumped on it in in, in June. Um, I think I think on the uh, reflective side, we'll be counting um, the cost of this uh, candidly with a little more accuracy, um, and uh, and maybe just a little caution uh, how much it'll cost us to how much it'll um, create for us to repay. So what will we need to do to repay it? Um, so. Look, I, I hope more than anything that you and I sitting there with a beer in our hands or a glass of wine or whatever our uh, choice is and toasting this, this wonderful country because it is a phenomenal uh, place to live uh, and be. Um, but, uh, um, uh, and I'm, 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 I know that's gonna be the case, uh, but I'm hoping it comes with, uh, you know, with, with, a, with consistently improving uh, economic conditions as well. Well, I hope so too. If the history is any indication of the future, which it usually is not and ultimately will prove not to be, but at least so far in American history, we don't pay down debt. We simply grow our economy so that debt is uh, small in proportion to the overall economy. So hopefully we can uh, resume growing the economy and, and hide this debt and not have to uh, deal with, with, uh, with, a, with a consequence of actually needing to pay it back. On a personal note, what are you most looking forward to be able to do that you aren't able to do right now? Um, so uh, I got back to play golf about five weeks ago. So that was my first, uh, my first look forward to. So I'm glad to be doing that. Um, I, uh, I have a bit of a, a habitual exercise routine in my local uh, gym that I haven't been back to. And I live in a, in a town just south of here that has got a lot of hills in it. So I do not like running those hills. So I'm looking forward to getting back to a treadmill. I don't have a treadmill at home. Maybe I should just buy one. Uh, and, then, and then thirdly, um, so we have some favorite restaurants in, uh, in Laguna Beach and uh, I'm really, really looking forward to good Italian food uh, in, in our favorite Italian restaurant. So uh, that's what I'm really looking forward to. What's the next uh, sporting event or cultural event you'd like to go to? Oh gosh, that is a great question. So I'm I'm hopeful that the Premier League gets back on June 15th. I think it is there or thereabouts, and I hope to see one of my favourite teams, Liverpool, win the championship. Um, so I don't care if there's nobody in the stadium; they just need to win three games, and I'll be happy. Um, I hope to I hope to uh, actually go to a concert. I don't think it'll be for a while, but I hope to go listen to live music. Um, you know, it's been really interesting. You know, we we studied a lot uh, over this last sort of two years here as we pulled these groups together about, you know, this activation placemaking, um, you know, why people enjoy certain places more than they do others. And, and candidly at the root of it all, it's because there's people there and there's energy there and they get a great vibe off of that. So I'm really looking forward to, I don't care if it's a concert, I don't care if it's a, if it's a, a sporting event or whatever it is, but I'm just looking forward to getting back to people in a safe, obviously, um, but a safe, energy filled environment yep food and music i love it it's a great combination adrian have a wonderful summer and i look forward to catching up with you uh, real soon you too Gotti. thanks so much really appreciate it take care